Hello, and welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to be critiquing a sermon from Pastor Eric Boggs of Beach Springs Tabernacle, which is located near Greenville, South Carolina. So enjoy this sermon critique, and please, as always, send any feedback on Facebook. You can search us, God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. You can also contact us at www.godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org. Or you can contact me at discussion at God still speaks through jackasses.org. I want to thank Cody F. Miller for the use of his painting entitled Balaam that serves as the artwork for the podcast. And, of course, Greg Mann, as always, for letting us use his tune, Time is Money, which you're hearing in the background of this opening to the podcast. And thank you to Gene Talley, my ministry coach of pure awesomeness. If you want ministry coaching, um, please contact Gene at revtalley at gmail.com. Also, thank you to Michael Onquist and Five Iron Frenzy for the use of their tune, My Evil Plan, to save the world. What would you do? Hebrews 2 and 3 says this, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Okay, so right away we already have problems. Uh, as the title of this sermon is, What Would You Do? And as we all know, if you've been listening to uh, the God Still Speaks Through Jackasses podcast for any length of time, we know that we here focus on not what we would do, but what Jesus has done for us. So, not a great start to the sermon here. Let's see how the pastor uh, proceeds here. Which at the first when, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and now has been confirmed to us by those who have heard Him. What can we say if we neglect the great story of salvation? What can we do if we don't make sure that this message is told over and over and over again? Okay, yes, um, I'm all for preaching the gospel. Um, and this is important, obviously. Um, but I'm wondering if uh, the pastor here isn't uh, emphasizing our role in this more than Jesus's role in this. Um, you know, it's taken me nearly 40 years to figure this out, so maybe I should cut him a little slack here. Uh, but I finally realized that the more we understand what Jesus did for us, the more we will love our neighbor. When we realize that, when we come into a place where we know that we're good with God, serving and loving our neighbor becomes a lot easier. And I'm convinced 
that now this is really what the role of the pastor in the church is, is every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, they're to tell us about what Jesus has done for us, and that is the fuel that will send us out to love our neighbor, including doing something like preach the gospel. But but this statement makes it sound like this is something that really heavily relies upon us. And if we are relying upon ourselves for anything, we're going to get in big trouble right away. And then another passage in Romans, Romans chapter 10. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, this is verse 13 if you're writing them down. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. I want to just stop for a moment right there and just give you a moment. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a good place for you to just begin right now to just give thanks to the Lord and knowing that you can call on Him and be saved. How many of you glad this morning for salvation? I'm glad I called on him and found salvation. Ooh, okay. So this is a problem um, with Pastor Eric here. I'm glad I called on him and found salvation. Um, right. So this is where, uh, you know, who does what in, in the process of, of saving us gets dicey. So there's a couple of approaches to this, and I've discussed these before here um, on the podcast. What, uh, the more uh, predominant um, ideas with soteriology, in other words, that's just the, the exploration of how we're saved, soteriology, that's a big word for, fancy word for that. Um, in, in main, you know, in evangelicalism in, in the West here in America, there's two ways to look at it. One is uh, a Reformed or a Calvinist approach. Um, the other is what they call Arminianism. Now, evidently, Pastor Eric is going to lead toward toward the Arminian view of salvation, where, uh, which, best as I can articulate it, the Arminian view says that that God does all the, He does do all the work, but He comes in via the Holy Spirit, via God, God the Holy Spirit quickens the the human soul which was once dead as as Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins quickens the human soul in other words makes it alive all right that's all quicken means it means it makes it alive and from there we're able by our free wills to make a decision quote unquote whether or not we want to follow um god or or accept jesus all right now Obviously, if you listen to the podcast for any length of time, you know that I completely disagree with that. I, I affirm the reform position, which says that it's a complete uh, work of God and that, that the grace is irresistible and so on and so forth. Um, but what, I, what I'm seeing from Pastor Eric here, honestly, is not even the Arminian position where, where it is a complete work of God, but it is something in which we participate. When he says, we're going to call on the name of the Lord, right? This is a big deal because when we call in the name of the Lord, then we're saved. This is really, in my estimation, crossing the line over from Arminian, from an Arminian position where God is completely doing the work, um, according to that position rightly articulated to us participating in our salvation. It's a, it's a synergism. You've heard me use that word before. In other words, it's a, it's a quid pro quo thing. I do this. I call in the name of the Lord. He saves. That is an ancient heresy called Pelagianism. And if you listen to any of the um, uh, the past podcasts on 
Paul, the new perspective, and beyond the old and new perspectives on Paul with, with Douglas Campbell and, and, and Dr. Scott Haferman, um, you understand what synergism is. That's, that's the, the, I do this. I'll, 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 God, you scratch my back if I scratch yours. God says, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This quid pro quo gospel. You call on my name, I will save you. That's an ancient heresy called Pelagianism, and Pelagian basically denied original sin. Now, I'm sure that Pastor Eric would not deny original sin, but in the statement that says, if you call on the name of the Lord, then you will be saved, and it depends on you to call on the name of the Lord, what he's denying essentially is in some way, shape, or form original sin. We call that semi-Pelagianism. And when Pastor Eric makes a statement like this, this is what gets communicated to people who don't, assuming that the people don't know Pelagianism or Synergism or Monergism or Calvinism, they don't know any of these isms. When he says, you must call in the name of the Lord, what that says to the average person is that you must do something to be saved. Okay, and this is a, a profound mistake, in my estimation, on the part of Pastor Eric. So I, I think it's, yeah, while I would be shocked to hear him say that that we do anything in our own salvation, you know, or, or participate in our salvation, or he would affirm a semi-Pelagian view of soteriology, in other words, the study of salvation, um, this is what it sounds like. This is what he's making it appear to be, that we do something and then therefore God acts. That is not what the scriptures teach at all. The scriptures teach that salvation is a complete act of God. All right, from soup to nuts. We don't participate in it at all. It's called monergism. One person acting, breaking in, doing the saving. All right, so um, I would challenge that point there. Uh, with Pastor Eric to uh, to clarify that and to be more careful about how he makes such statements because people don't understand. Um, they really don't. And when you make a statement like, you call in the name of the Lord and he will save you, makes it sound like you do something, God does something. This is not good. We don't, we, we, we this is not script, well, it's not scriptural. And if it's not scriptural, it's not good. Okay, let's continue on. Verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Watch this. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Let me take away the perception here. Preacher is a proclaimer or someone who declares. Again, it may be in a pulpit just like we see this morning. But you may be the preacher for someone else. The Bible says, how can they know how to be saved unless somebody tells them? Unless somebody shares with them the good news that Jesus, He does, He still saves. Right. So, at this point, I, I do agree with Pastor Eric that, that we must preach the gospel. But again... Just this is just my take on it, and I could be completely reading him wrong, uh, but but I think he would do well to give us some further explanation on this this whole pre preaching notion. Okay, so from my perspective, as as a reformed uh, person who affirms uh, the reformed teaching Calvinism, uh, the role of the of the pastor is I, I love it because anytime I preach the gospel, the way I look at it is wow, God ordained this, predestined it before the foundation to the world, that I would be speaking these words to this person at this point in time. Okay, and that's not to say that I'm 
hyper Calvin that, you know, every time I scratch my nose, God ordained it, that sort of No, but in the preaching of the gospel, anytime I get a genuine opportunity to preach the gospel to someone, this is something that God has set up and that he's already guaranteed my success for in a lot of ways. So this is how I look at preaching the gospel. Um, and, and the way Pastor Eric is putting it here makes it sound like that, again, this is something synergistic, that, some, that it's something we're involved in, that without the preacher, that people could actually go to hell, that this completely depends on us for salvation to be brought to people. And this is not at all the case. God completely does the work. To deny that is to deny Scripture and to affirm uh, Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism and synergism, okay, which is all which are all heresies. And unfortunately, what I fear <clears throat> Pastor Eric is getting into is um, what a lot of evangelical churches, especially in the South, have fallen prey to, which is honestly the heresy of Pelagianism, which is to say that 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 original sin really isn't that detrimental, that we still have some spark of divinity in us in, in order to, for us to make a decision. And on top of that, not only do we have that spark of divinity in us, once we're saved, um, we are able to go out and actually be an active participant, an efficacious participant in salvation. And that is just not true. Humans, humanity does not have a role at all in the saving of another human being. God completely did the work. We have a role in informing people of the fact that they are saved. Okay. But we but we do nothing. God does everything. It's all about Jesus. Jesus did it all. Right? Jesus paid it all. Not us. That's how the hymn goes. All to him we owe. Not uh well, Jesus did some of it, but we do a little bit by making a decision. And then on top of that, it depends on whether or not there's a preacher around to make it happen, too. See see how <laughs> humans get quickly involved in this? And I fear this is the trap that Pastor Eric is falling into here. And how shall they preach unless they're sent? But look at this. How beautiful are those who preach the gospel? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of preach? a peace and bring good tidings to the world. What an opportunity we have to live our lives and to respond to the needs of the world that we're living in. Henry Blackaby said this, he said, you never find God asking persons to dream up what they want to do for him. To live a God-centered life, you must focus your life on God's purposes and not your plans. You must Okay, um, I have major problems. I used to love Henry Blackaby's Experience in God. In fact, I used to teach it with all vigor and enthusiasm. But unfortunately, I've come to realize that Henry Blackaby is a mystic. And uh, it, 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 what he teaches is not biblical at all. He te- if it, I'm convinced what, what Henry Blackaby and the Experience in God series does, if you're involved in that or you're thinking of being involved with that, just, be, just realize it's, it's it. Historically, it's heresy. It's semi-Pelagianism and it's synergism. And this quote shows that. Uh, see, I mean, just notice the quote. Um, you don't focus on your own plans, essentially. You focus on God's plans. Now, who's doing the work there? You. You're the one who decides. You're the one who does the da-da-da-da. It's all up to you to get your mindset in the correct place in order to see where God is working. 
Okay. So, um, straight away, in my estimation, Henry Blackaby, um, you know, while I think he is good intentioned, uh, and while I would not question, uh, the fact that, that, uh, you know, that he's trying to help people understand how they can, they can participate, um, or how they can follow, uh, God's will, whatever, however he wants to put that, um, I don't doubt his sincerity. He's in serious error. And in fact, I would just flat out say he, he, he is in, <laughs> he is in heresy territory. Um, he's in synergism and semi-Pelagianism, and that's just not biblical. You can't justify biblically, um, what Henry Blackaby teaches. Okay. Um, and I'd, I'd invite people, this may be a shock. It was to me to really go back and look at, because I, again, I used to teach this stuff all the time to people and say, this is the way you figured out what, you know, how to do God's will and discern God's will and to, da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, it was all about you and not about God and not about Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit doing their work and, um, it being a monergistic, a, a completely a God thing, completely a Jesus thing. It became a Jesus and me thing, right? That's the danger, and that and that's what that's what I see Pastor Eric doing is he's he's bringing us into the work of God, and um, and while God does use us for His purposes, um, it, this this whole notion of us being um, keyed into, aware of, understanding what God is doing, it depends on us. If we miss the boat, if we don't understand what God is doing and we, we do, A, we do our own purposes or B, um, you know, we miss what God is trying to do, then some bad things are going to happen. That puts the ball completely in our court. That puts the control completely in our purview. And this is not scriptural. This is synergism. And God works His will alone, monergistically. No one can thwart His will, and His will will be done. And that's a great comfort, I hope, to everyone. You can take a breath and go, whew, oh, okay, it's on, it's on God to get it done. And that doesn't excuse us, you know, from, um, from quote, doing certain things. But what it does is it, energ- it energizes me to say, hey, you know what? I can freely preach the gospel to this person and just proclaim it to them and not worry about um, what the outcome is going to be. That is in God's hands. I don't have to worry about whether you're going to heaven or hell or, you know, whether I made you know. Yeah, no. All that's put into the, the loving and trusting hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus. That's all up to him. All we, all we get to do is proclaim it and think, wow, this is crazy. This is great because God used me in this situation and it wasn't my decision. It wasn't my doing, but it was completely an act of God. Henry Blackaby doesn't teach this and uh, Pastor Eric ought to be a little bit careful about how he cites uh, Henry Blackaby because Henry Blackaby is a synergist and in my estimation, a semi-Pelagianist um, when it comes to how God works in the world and how to understand and do God's will. It is all completely up to God. And, uh, that's a little hard to explain, I understand, because it seems like, well, we have to do something, don't we? We have to participate somehow. We have to choose. No, we don't. Um, God does it all. Okay. And that's, that's hard to understand and hard to believe in some ways, but, but that's, that's one thing I love 
about the reformed idea is that it, it leaves all this room for God. All right. And, and even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense, it's like, well, I chose to preach the gospel to that person because the opportunity presented itself. Well, no, you didn't. God chose you to present the gospel. I think that's a beautiful way to look at things. I mean, if you had the opportunity to present the gospel to somebody, God chose that opportunity, not you. He was completely in control. The Holy God, the Holy Spirit was completely in control. Based on the efficacious work of Jesus on the cross and in his death and his resurrection, God completely did it. Okay? Takes a lot of the pressure off of us. And it's very comforting to me to say, hey, I trust, trust God to take care of every human soul and do right by every single human soul that ever existed. That's a great comfort. But when you put it back on us and you put it back on our decision and, whoa, well, here, you know, here's somebody who doesn't know the gospel and should I present the gospel to him? Da, 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 da. And you, and you put all that pressure on yourself, it, you're going to crack. Um, you're going to get worn out. Trust me on this. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. So, um, so right. Uh, just a note on that, um, with Pastor Eric and his citation of Henry Blackaby here. Beware of Henry Blackaby. Um, very popular, uh, message because it really has to do with, hey, here's, here's the steps to figure out how to do God's will. And boy, do we Americans love that. We love to have, give, give us the steps to do it so we can accomplish it and be successful in it. Right? And that's exactly what Henry Blackaby does. And that's why he's so popular. Not because his teachings are biblical. Think to see from God's perspective rather than from your own distorted human perspective. When God starts to do something in the world, listen to this. He takes the initiative to come and talk to somebody. Aren't you glad? God takes the initiative to come and talk to somebody. He'll come and talk to you. He wants to come and talk with me. Aren't you glad this morning that God's willing to come and talk to somebody? To share His purpose. Right. I would be really interested to hear how Pastor Eric would define talk to us. Because if God talks to us any place else other than his written word, this is a major problem. Because then it's just a free-for-all. It's just, oh, God spoke to me. And so therefore, if that's true, if God spoke to you, we should add that to the to the scriptures. We should write that in the back. It's on the blank pages back there for the notes somewhere. That God spoke Pastor Eric, because if God spoke to you, that is indeed the word of God. This is not how God operates. God speaks to us through his written word. If you want to hear God speak, go read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, open the Bible and read it out loud. Okay? This is how God speaks. God does not come to us individually and by some, you know, prompting in the heart or some other... Nah, that's that's complete garbage, and this will leave you reeling, um, and, and and at sea. Talk about being tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves, and building your house on uh, on the sand, the house of cards. Faith, you guys have heard me talk about this before. This is not how God speaks. Okay, um, God speaks through His Word. Period. End of story. He does not speak to your heart. He does not give you promptings in certain situations. And this is exactly what Henry Blackaby um, espouses in experiencing God and its mysticism. You know, 
I mean, how many other isms can we get on Henry Blackaby here? It's it's Pelagianism, it's synergism, it's mysticism, um, it's it it's 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 no mysticism, um, it's it's Gnosticism. <laughs> it really is. It's a secret knowledge about what God is doing that's only revealed to you about what God is what God is trying to accomplish. And God does not reveal secret knowledge to individuals about what he is trying to accomplish. He reveals his will in his written word. Period. End of story. Any, anything else is extra biblical and, in my opinion, heretical. Um, and that's what's sad in a lot of ways about modern evangelicalism in North America is we have slipped into these heresies without even knowing it. And we're so quick to kick everybody else out of the church for... Um, for what we perceive to be heretical. Um, but us evangelicals are very slow to see where we've slipped into error and indeed historical heresy. Okay. Um, and Henry Blackaby is, uh, is arguably one of the worst offenders in my estimation. Listen to this. For some divine reason, God has chosen to involve His people and accomplishing his purposes. Now, this is true. Pastor Eric is absolutely right about this. God has chosen by his own volition to involve us to accomplish his purposes. That's the best thing he said so far, in my opinion. Okay? So this is good. This is good. This is, this is the mindset we want to have. God is doing the thing, not us. He has chosen to use us. Okay? So, um, and it's good he's qualified this. So this, this, this is very helpful that Pastor Eric has qualified this and said that, okay, you know, we're, we've looked at these things, but, but God is the one who has chosen us to, um, to participate. All right. Um, again, it's, it's going to come through a little thin, I think, as we go proceed through this sermon. But this is dead on the mark. This is right. God has chosen us to accomplish his purposes. Okay, Romans 9 teaches us this. All right, so that's good. Very good. What will you do? What will you do? What would you And then, unfortunately, he comes right back with, what will you do? <laughs> God has chosen us to, to, for his purposes. What will you do? Well, nothing, Pastor Eric. I won't do anything. God will do everything. Jesus has done it all. Jesus paid it all, right? Um, I won't do anything. It's up to him. He, it's up to his choice. Paul is very explicit about this in Romans 9. According to his choice, he did what would bring glory and fame to his name. Okay, we don't... Sorry, we don't have a, a role in this other than what God chooses us uh, to have a role in. It's not our choice to do anything. It's not a question of what will we do. Praise be to God. It's not a question of what will we do. Because if it was up to what we would do, we would. it would be utter wickedness. We're depraved beyond. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Again, Paul in Ephesians teaches us that. So if it was up to what we would do, we're sunk. All right? Uh, even as justified Christians, if it was up to what we would do, our old man would, would ruin it. It's sure to be. Alright. As long as it's up to what God would do and what God would choose, then we're, then we're good to go. Alright. But if it becomes our choice, then 
many problems ensue in my estimation. Um, practically, biblically, theologically, and um, everything else. Um, so it's not about what will we do, according to Pastor Eric here. You do with this opportunity that, that God has given us. You see, God desires our involvement, but it will require our response. It will require you and I, it will require us to respond to the call of God. To re- Wrong. That's completely wrong. If what God wants to accomplish requires us, God isn't going to get done anything. This is just completely false teaching. This is complete error. It got, what God wants to do does not require us. I can't emphasize this point more clearly. Pastor, Ron, Pastor Eric is completely wrong to say this. God accomplished his purposes on the cross and in the resurrection, in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father in Jesus. God accomplished the purposes. It does not depend a lick, a one iota on us. If it did, it would fail. No question. And this is, this is, this is the straight Pelagian heresy that we're not that bad. Um, that, uh, you know, that we have some spark of the divine in us and that we can somehow participate in us. Only this, this kind of, this is, and I think this is how this is snuck into evangelicalism is, is, is we said, okay, once we're saved, then now we do have the divine spark, right? We, we were, we're, uh, we're justified and we're being sanctified. So therefore we can, we can synergistically participate with God in accomplishing his purposes. No. <laughs> Sorry. We are still sinners. Until the day we die, we will suffer from sin. We will suffer from unbelief. We will suffer from idolatry. Like uh, Calvin says, we, our hearts, even as believers, are idol-making factories. Calvin said that about believers. Okay? And as long as that's the case then to think that we synergistically even participate in our sanctification is an error. It's it's Pelagianism. It's to say that it's that somehow, okay, now it's up to us to gut it. And once we're saved, we gotta we, we gotta we gotta do stuff to say to stay saved or to prove that we're saved. Okay? Um I, I like how Dr. Hafen put it in his in his paper that we reviewed, you know, the whole the whole notion has shifted from getting in to staying in. Right? That, that, that staying in depends on us. That proving that we're in depends on us. And all of this is completely false teaching. This is not what the Bible teaches. Even our sanctification is not something that we co-opt along with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the complete work of, work of sanctification in our lives. The only thing we need to know, honestly, if we want our sanctification to be fueled, is that we're sinners. We're damnable sinners of the law, but Jesus saves us and forgives us. That's what we need to hear every week if we want to see our sanctification go forward. Not this, you need to do this, you need to do that. It requires... No. Sorry. <laughs> if it requires anything of me... Uh, done. I'm done. Sanctification, justification, whatever, you, however you want to put it. And again, uh, for those of you who may not know what this justification is, 
where God declares us righteous because of what Jesus did. Not just declares us righteous, but gives us the very righteousness of Christ, His perfect sinless life and His perfect obedience. God gives that to us through Christ. Right, that's justification. Sanctification is us coming from that point and um, and becoming more like Christ. But even this, we don't have a hand in. This is a complete work of God. Justification and sanctification both. Historically, biblically, in the orthodox approach to Christianity are both sanctification and justification are being given righteousness and are becoming more like Christ in our lives are both acts of God and they do not require our anything. And if they do, we're sunk. The scriptures are clear on this. These are complete acts of God and um, have nothing to do with what's required of us. All right, Pastor Eric is just wrong about this. This is is an invention of his, and an invention, really, uh, of Western evangelicalism, that that we co-opt or have anything to do with our sanctification, right? What, if, well, what has to do with our sanctification is the fact that we are sinners, and we are saved, and when that grips our hearts, then the Holy Spirit can do his work of sanctification in our lives, this is really all the information we need. We don't need to go to church and hear a sermon like this from Pastor Eric, which says, oh, this is required, that's required, you need to do this, you need to do that, etc., etc. This is not, this is not what's going to produce sanctification in people. In other words, a, a sustainable, um, becoming more like Christ. This kind of preaching isn't going to do it. What's going to do it is when people go to church and they hear the law and gospel properly divided from the word of God where they're told that they are, again, miserable sinners of the law, but that Jesus saves them. And how wonderful is that? And that they're completely good with God. They're in forever. They never have to worry about whether or not God loves them. They're at peace with God. They're no longer at war with God and that they're unconditionally loved. And from that information preached from every single page of scripture week in and week out from the pulpit, they're going to walk out and guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to use that to make them more like Jesus. It's not going to be them gritting their teeth and doing the requirements and trying harder and it doesn't work. That's a formula for, for burnout, for pride if you happen to actually accomplish it every once and again, for despair when you utterly fail, and if you're like me, you'll utterly fail. And on top of that, it's it's a formula for, uh, for 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 people being charlatans about their faith. And I know a lot of Christians do. They live their entire lives as charlatans, pretending like they've got the sanctification piece all together, when in reality, it's a farce. If Pastor Eric wants to see his congregation do the things he's talking about, he'll stop preaching like this. Stop talking about the requirements and the to-dos and etc., etc. And he'll start talking about how we are sinners and that Jesus, because of his work, his life, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, saves us 
from our sin. He'll start talking about that and how we are sinners. That our sins, which are many, are forgiven. He'll start talking about these things. He'll start talking about the law and the gospel, how the law condemns us, but but Jesus saves us. And he preaches that from, from the pulpit every week, from every page of scripture. Then he'll see his congregation start to become more Christ-like. He won't have to talk about all these requirements and to-dos and everything else. But God, the Holy Spirit, will take care of the rest. But yet, we in our humanness feel like we have to do it. And I'm sure Pastor Eric feels like he has to get up there and talk about what we need to be doing in order to be more, uh, in order to be sanctified. When in reality, he needs to be talking less about what we need to be doing and more. And always, not just more, but always talking about what Jesus did for us. Recognize the needs that are present everywhere in our world, it'll take our response. And the reality is, is if we're not careful, we can walk right by the needs. Do you understand this morning that when we walk by the needs of people who are sin sick, who are lost and without God, do you understand that we, we really, we participate in a greater travesty than these folks who walk by this dying man. Because it's an awful thing that a man would die in the flesh, but it's surely an awful thing that he dies second death and be lost and away from God. And again, we commit a greater travesty when we walk by the needs and the needy of man that we live by every day, that we live with every day. If we walk by them and don't hear the call of God... Right. So, the Pharisees had over 600 to-dos in order to ensure that the laws of God were kept. And uh, so far, um, I actually counted them up. <laughs> um, Pastor Eric has given us enough to-dos that in two months he could have us well past the Pharisees with a list of to-dos. And the, the modern evangelical to-do list consists of what Pastor Eric just outlined. Um, you know, walking past the needs, not make, and that's, and again, let me make clear. This, what I'm talking about is not just you focusing on, oh, I'm saved and I don't have to worry about anybody else. No. The great and profound mystery of the gospel is that when we have Jesus at the center of all this, God at the center of all this, and when the gospel grips our hearts, Pastor Eric will never even have to tell us not to walk past the needs of somebody else. It'll it'll be something that'll come completely naturally to us. In fact, Pastor Eric and pastors like him who preach sermons with all these to-dos, hoping that his people will go out and do these things, are a symptom of of the problem, see? The symptom of the fact that the gospel, the law, and the gospel are not being preached in their purest forms in our pulpits anymore. It's a symptom that says, oh, well, these people aren't, aren't doing it, so I better get busy telling them what to do instead of telling them what Jesus has done and relying on God, trusting God, in my opinion, 
estimation all comes down to a trust issue, trusting God to work out sanctification in the hearts and lives of God's people. Preaching the gospel is lost. We're, we're all about to-do lists anymore. This is exactly what the Pharisees did. This is, this is what Pastor Eric is preaching is nothing more than Pharisaical legalism only on the other side of, of quote, salvation. And he's going to call it sanctification, and it's not. This is something he's trying to coerce, force, talk people into doing when he has no power whatsoever to talk people in, teach people. If he would simply preach the gospel from every single page of Scripture every weekend, law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins, his people would have no problem doing what he's talking about. But yet... He's chosen to preach the to-do list instead of relying on God and the work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel to produce in people sanctification. That's the travesty of American evangelicalism, in my opinion. This pietism which says you have to do these things to please God. Let me tell you something. If you're listening to this and you don't understand that God, through, through the work of Jesus Christ is already completely pleased with you, he already completely loves you, he already unconditionally loves you, He's a, you're at peace with God because of Jesus, you're no longer at war, and that all of your sins, which are many, are forgiven, and you think you have to do things to please God? <laughs> you, you're in, uh, I, I pray for you, <laughs> that you would understand that God is already completely pleased with you. Because when stuff gets bad and the stuff hits the fan and you don't realize you're good with God that you're in forever, that is the worst possible place a human being can be in, ever. So I hope you'll realize that because of what Jesus did, that you're in with God, you're good with Him, you're in forever. You don't have to worry about that. God loves you. You, and, And because of that, when you, when you let that grip your heart, when you let the gospel grip your heart, you're going to go out and do all these things Pastor Eric's talking about. And you're going to do them freely with your hands open. Not because of, oh, God tells me to do this, so I should go do it. And, uh, and I'm going to go do, I'm going to go love my neighbors so maybe they'll love me back. And all that, all that garbage. When you realize, when you come to grips, with the amazing grace of the gospel as taught through the scriptures, and you realize you're good with God and you're in forever, all of this stuff is going to come because the Holy Spirit's going to work sanctification in you. Our only job as theologians, apologists, pastors, preachers is to tell you that you're a sinner and that you're saved. That's it. That's the message we have for you. That's, that's it. That's the entire message of the scripture. If you're getting anything else from the scripture, you're missing the point. The entire message of the scripture is we're sinners and we're saved. And that's what we should be talking about. Now we can talk about it from all kinds of different angles, from Genesis to Revelation. Every page of scripture teaches it from every different angle. But the entire scripture, Jesus tells us, the entire scripture testifies of him. And this is what we should be teaching week in and week out. And trusting the Holy Spirit to work out the, the, the to-dos, the sanctification part of it, because he will. 
And it'll do it in a way that's sustainable and not in a way that's going to burn people out and, and, and um, have them walking out the door and abandoning faith, thinking about being atheists like I used to. <laughs> um, this, is the, this is the stuff that's going to save the church, not the stuff that Pastor Eric is preaching, not this to-do list. And again, it's, it's, it's amazing. This is such a, a work of deception by the devil that has worked its way, wormed its way into American evangelicalism that says, hey, because we, we Americans, we like to do, right? We want the to-do list. Give us seven steps to do this. Show us how we can do that. This is what we crave because, because we think if we have the right to-do list, we will have the key to life where we can accomplish our own sanctification, and then we won't need God. That's really what it boils down to. We want to be independent. We want to be free. The robust individual, you know, individualism that we have here in this country, well, in some ways is great, but from a Christian perspective is, it's death. And if you try to live out your Christianity like this, I can promise you a few things. One, you'll burn out. This is what I did. I burn out, crashed out, nosedive, crashed. Okay? If you don't burn out, and you're somehow able to, to, to pull some of this stuff off. And, and incidentally, what, what Pastor Eric is talking about is weak law. You maybe heard me say this before on the podcast. Weak law. He's presenting a law or, or requirements from God that we can accomplish in some way, shape, or form. This is what the Pharisees did. They, they, they provided a law that was doable. Don't spit on the soil. You can only spit on a rock. You can only carry a certain amount of weight so far. You can only open a window in this situation. 600 and some odd laws, right? But they made the law doable. When in reality, God's law is impossible. Matthew in the Sermon on the, or Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus is proclaiming the high, the, the, the impossibility of us accomplishing God's law. I, that should make it, I mean, it should be obvious to us. We cannot accomplish God's laws too. It's, it's, it's unattainable. But what Pastor Eric does, and this is what the Pharisees do, they make the law attainable. And so then we walk around and we think, oh, well, I, I, I did what Pastor Eric said today. I, I went and preached the gospel to people. So I, I'm pretty good. It's pride. Pride is just as much of a sin as anything else. How's your sanctification looking now? So you're going to burn out, you're going to be prideful, and then when you fail in these things that Pastor Eric is talking about, when you, we fail, when you fail to live up to his pharisaical norms or his laws, you're going to despair. And then that despair is going to lead you to burn out. So, following Pastor Eric's exhortations, exhortations here is going to lead to one of three things, burnout, pride, and despair. That does not sound like the gospel to me where Jesus comes to set the captives free, where the burden, where the yoke is light and the burden is easy. This sounds like Pharisees who bind up heavy loads for people to carry, but do not lift a finger to help them. This is what I believe Pastor Eric is doing. And um, if he happens to be listening to this, I would implore him to change the way he preaches to a works-based sanctification to a gospel-based sanctification. All right, let's carry on.
and the cry of the people. You see, I think in life, come on now, somebody get with me here. And the call of God, we see that time and again, that God is looking for people just like us. In Ezekiel chapter 22, God said, Ezekiel, I sought for man. I looked for somebody who would stand in the gap, who would make up a wall. God is looking for people. He has and is right now. God's looking for people who's willing to step in the, you know, we can stand around and complain about the young people and, you know, this group of people or that group of people, but, you know, the reality is that somebody has to step in the way. Somebody's got to fill the gap. Somebody's got to step in and stand in the place and build up a wall and resist the enemy in his destructive work. Somebody has to be willing to stand in the place. Okay, this this is not good. Um, this this is uh, getting dangerously close to the textbook definition of blasphemy. Because what Ezekiel, when Ezekiel is talking about the man who stands in the gap, he's talking about Jesus. We're not going to stand in the place of Jesus. We're not the ones who stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. Jesus is the one who stands in the gap for us. And to say that, to imply that, that, that we're going to be that somebody who stands in that place is, this is not good. Um, anyway, I'm just going to leave it at that. But be comforted, if you happen to be listening to this, that you're not the one who has to stand in the gap. You can't stand in the gap. Jesus stands in the gap for you. You remember the story of David in 1 Samuel 17? He stands out and he says, is there not a cause? God help us to see that everywhere there's a cause. God has a cause. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And you may be caught up in your own little plan this morning, but if you'll only involve, if you'll only allow God, He will involve you in His divine plan, His divine purpose. Right. If we would only allow God, like we can block God, from accomplishing his purpose. We don't have to allow God to do anything. God does what he decides he will do. Period. End of story. So, anyway. Not sure what else to say about that. If we'll allow God. We don't allow God to do anything. If, if those two words come together in your vocabulary, that's a problem. Say that we allow God to do something in us, through us, in our lives, in the world. No. God does what He, God will do what He wants to do and He will accomplish His purposes. No one can thwart God's will. I wish I'd have wrote that book, The Purpose Driven Life. Really simple. Rick Warren's made multi-millions of dollars off a very simple thought. But basically, it comes back to this. If you've never read the book, it's a good book to read. Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. There I go, making him some more money right there. Somebody's, God bless Rick. Amen. Okay. Um, also, another, another, um, thread of teaching I used to be very much into back in the day, just like, uh, Blackaby's, uh, experiencing God. Um, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is nothing but, um, uh, American rugged individualism Christianized. This is what we want. Give us a purpose, give us a task to do, 
and we will feel fulfilled. This is, this is, this is the way of the world. To say that, that in what we do, we will have fulfillment. If we're successful, we will be fulfilled. If we fail, we won't. This is the pride and despair thing all over again. When, in reality, the only way we can be fulfilled is when we realize our sins are forgiven. That's it. If you're looking to any place else other than Jesus and the gospel and the Christ, and Jesus and the gospel and the cross to fulfill your life, you will be sorely disappointed or you will be enormously prideful to say that, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I've accomplished my purpose in life. And because I've accomplished my purpose in life, therefore, um, life is good, whatever. But for most of us, we will struggle with life. Life will bring us trials. We won't be all that successful. We might not make all that much money. And if we make money, we'll spend all of our time and effort focused on making that money, being successful, whatever it is, fulfilling our purpose, da 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 All that stuff is not focused on the cross, nor Jesus, nor the gospel. And the purpose-driven life, Rick Warren's purpose-driven life, completely takes your focus off the cross. And the fact that that everything we need as human beings we have in Christ. Rick Warren says nothing like this in The Purpose Driven Life. He teaches you how to find your purpose and fulfill your purpose and tells you that's the key to life. And he, and he laces it with scripture and Christianese. Uh, believe me, I was hook, line, and sinker into this. I know The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. I, I know these works by Rick Warren. And they're not Christian. Let me say that again. Rick, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is not a guidebook for Christians. This is a guidebook for something else, for American success, however you want to put it. It does not focus you on the fact that your sins, which are many, are forgiven, and that being your fulfillment. No. It says you fulfilling your purpose is what fulfills your life. And that is a lie. You fulfilling your purpose, quote-unquote, whatever you think that might be, is not going to fulfill your life. I mean, look, look at all the celebrities and the, and the, quote, successful people. I mean, think, think about Robin Williams. How much more success could you ask for than a man like that? Yet at the end of the day, he committed suicide. How many celebrities have you said reached the top to find that the fulfillment wasn't there? They fulfilled their purpose. They lived a purpose-driven life. And, w- and what's deceptive about this is, is we live this purpose-driven life thinking that, that we, we, we purpose our lives around, around maybe sharing the gospel or feeding the poor or doing good things. None of these things are bad. And we think if we focus our lives around these things that we'll, that we'll be fulfilled. And we do these things not to love our neighbor, not to help our neighbor, not so our neighbor will know the gospel. We do these things so we will be fulfilled. You, do you see the problem with that? It's completely self-centered. It's completely a narcissistic approach to life. That, 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 that our purposes, even if they're good, are ultimately for our 
fulfillment. They're not for our neighbor. And this is the whole problem with it because we believe that we need something else besides Jesus. Something else besides the fact that our sins are forgiven and that we're good with God forever. We think we need something better than that. And that's exactly what Pastor Eric is talking about. He's saying, I mean, essentially, I, I don't think he would say this out loud, but in so many words, he's saying that we need something better than the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God forever and being good with God forever. We need something better than that to fulfill our lives. We need a purpose. We need a whatever. It's a lie. This is a complete lie that will lead you again to one or three things. Destruction in your life, pride, or despair. Not good, in my opinion. Not good at all. Rick Warren's purpose-driven life is simply about that. It's not about the cross. It's not about Jesus. It's not about God fulfilling every need you have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's about you fulfilling every need you have by somehow thinking that um, you're doing God's will or God's purposes or your design for your life. No. That's what it's about. So if you want to know about the gospel um, then uh, and live a life that is that is fueled by the gospel and the fact that everything you need you have in Christ, um, don't read Rick Warren's book and take his advice. It's not good. And, um, yeah, anyway, I think I've said enough about that. Let's continue on. But the fact is, is, is God help us to realize that every one of us, the reason we're here is God's plan. We, we want to find, we want to discover that plan. And sometimes we have to back out of our distorted view of what life is about. In America, sometimes, we have to kind of back away. And realize that it's not the American dream that God is after. And that's a struggle sometime, isn't it? Ironic that he would say this. Because Rick Warren's purpose-driven life is nothing but the American dream Christianized. It's it, The American dream is, is you have the freedom to fulfill yourself with your own purposes. That's the American dream. Rick Warren's book is, you have the freedom to fulfill your life with um, what seems to be like God's purposes. Or God's um, divine design for your life. So if you fulfill that thing, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, God designed you for a specific purpose, and if you fulfill that, then you'll be fulfilled. That's the American dream. And there's a very little distinction between the hat and Rick Warren's purpose-driven life. I'm sorry, Pastor Eric, you're wrong. Okay? In your, in that sense, you're right in the sense that God is not, not looking for us to fulfill the American dream. But, but Rick Warren's purpose-driven life is, is, uh, the, the American dream couched in different terms. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's not a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life. It is a it is a narcissistic, me-centered, self-serving life. That even when we may do a good work for our neighbor, like share the gospel with them, it, it's ultimately for our own fulfillment and not for their edification. This is no way to live, people. <laughs> 
don't take Pastor Eric's advice here. If, if you've listened to this, if you're listening to whatever, um, take the fact that everything you need, you have in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of all your sins and the fact that you're good with God forever and you're in forever. That is what is what the Holy Spirit is going to use to sanctify you and for you to start doing works for your neighbor out of love, not because God needs you to do these things or because they fulfill some grand purpose in your life, but because your neighbor needs you to love them. And you'll do it purely out of that. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you did something, shared the gospel, served your neighbor or whatever, that that that, that some selfish motive was absent from it? Now, I know that's, that's impossible for us, but, but, but how much is that in there? How much is that dominating what you're doing? I mean, when's the last time you did something completely selfless? And I know, again, that's impossible. But through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, that, that's, what, that's what we're supposed to be moving toward, is actually loving our neighbor, not for any possible thing, even fulfillment we could get out of it, but because our neighbor needs us to love us. Not that we're going to get approval from God, or that we're going to be fulfilled, or feel better about ourselves, or, or fulfill our purpose. It's because our neighbor needs us to love them. And the only way to even start approaching that is to realize that everything we need, we have in Christ. That's the only way we're going to start approaching that. And and the only way we're going to even start approaching that is for the Holy Spirit to help us to realize through proper teaching and doctrine that those needs are met. And that therefore the Holy Spirit can then sanctify us to say, okay, now that you realize that, that, you, that your heart has been gripped by that, now I'm going to empower you to love your neighbor because your neighbor needs you to love them. Thank you for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses. And follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at JesusJackass. Please rate and review the cast on Stitcher and iTunes. That helps us quite a bit there as it gets us a little higher on the playlist with those folks. And tell your friends about the cast, especially if you're a little shy about sharing the gospel. Plus that... Your friends will laugh when they hear you say, God still speaks through jackasses. I may fold their brows, deep and furrow brows, uncanny and so clever, it's our newest plan ever, got tired of whining. All third-party material is used under the authority of the Copyright Act of 1976, 17, Section 107, Fair Use. For all the with this world, my evil plan to save the world. Just you wait now.